Let's all stand together at this time as we look at a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 5. Begin a new series today I call Christianity, a biblical view. Christianity, a biblical view. And today's message is all about becoming. Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. And it happened when he was in a certain city that behold a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. And may God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. Christianity is a word used to describe everything from a religious identity where being a Christian would simply identify you as being something besides a Muslim or Buddhist or any other one of various religions and all kinds of population surveys around the world will define how many people are Christian. Uh, There is also sometimes a political identity that is attached to being a Christian. And there have been times in history where Christianity became a very powerful, ruling, political force. And even today, it is often viewed as being somewhat synonymous with the, as it's called, religious right. Uh, Christian as a political system. I think it good for us then to spend some time just looking at what the Bible says about Christianity and what it is, a biblical view of Christianity. And we will use four great concepts, and they've been used a lot. I've been around, I've seen them all my life almost, uh, as far back as I can remember. Uh, So I can't take credit for thinking these up. They've been around a long time. They're just ways that... Uh, words that we use to identify what being a Christian is all about. Being a Christian, we'll see today, is all about becoming. Being a Christian, then, is also about believing. Christians believe certain things. If you're a Christian, then there are certain things that you believe. Christianity is all about behaving, how we live. And if you're a Christian, there is a Christian way to live. It has an effect upon our lifestyle, the way we conduct ourselves. And then there is belonging. Being a Christian is about belonging. And we'll see belonging to the church, belonging to that group of people known, of course, as the people of God or the family of God. And we'll see all of those things over the next few weeks. Now, you might think that Since I've just got four words, this will just be four sermons. No, it'll be a few more than that, I think. Uh, Y'all know me too well after all this time. But we're going to start here with becoming Christian. Being a Christian is all about becoming a Christian. Now, today's message will deal with the story of a leper. It was recorded by the physician, Dr. Luke. Some of you uh, may not be familiar with... uh, 
uh, Luke's gospel all that much. I'd encourage you to read. It's a great, great story. Remember, Luke was not Jewish. Uh, He was what the Bible calls a Gentile. Luke was saved during the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So Luke was not a Christian back during the days of, of Jesus and And uh, uh, Jesus had already finished his work and gone back to heaven before Luke was saved. But as a physician, when he recorded for us the details of the life of Jesus Christ, he gives us so many interesting things, intriguing things, details uh, that the other gospel writers uh, did not use. He wrote with primarily a Gentile audience in mind. And if you wonder what Gentile means, uh, that simply means you're not Jewish. So he, he wrote with a non-Jewish audience in mind. And part of what he wrote is the story of our text. And it gives us a great place to start in discussing what it means to become a Christian. And that is a matter of incredible significance. As we answer the question, then, how does a person become a Christian It is so significant because it is a matter literally of life and death on an eternal scale. It's important that you realize this morning, no one is born a Christian. No one. Now, it might fit into some of those areas where being a Christian is all about a religious identity, and therefore, if you, are, if you have Christian parents, then they will count you as a Christian from the time you're born. It might fit into that political uh, spectrum uh, again if you were uh, raised in, a, in a, a situation where you were taught a certain political ideology. They might identify you as a Christian, but I'm going to say it again. Nobody is born a Christian. If you are a Christian, you become one. You must become a Christian. The question is how? How? Now, the Bible often gives us very direct truth to answer that question. great example is in Acts chapter 16. Paul and his crowd, Silas, were visiting uh, the ancient city of Philippi, preaching there, establishing a church there. Uh, As he so often did, he incurred the wrath of the local magistrates. He ended up publicly flogged, whipped, and then uh, put in stocks in prison. And at midnight, the Bible tells us, they began to sing. I I have to think there was probably a little bit of preaching going on too. But we know that they began to sing in the jail, beaten, in stocks. And an incredible thing happened. The Bible tells us it was an earthquake. But it wasn't the normal kind of earthquake. Because as far as I could tell, the only thing it did is it set all of the prisoners loose. I mean, there they were in stocks. They were chained up. Their chains fell off. Nobody got hurt. Uh, The walls uh, seemed to be still intact. The, The doors were open. So basically, all the prisoners were set free. But none of them left. You know what we call that? A miracle. That's what it was. It was a miracle of God. That's what it was. The jailer, the man who was in charge of all of those prisoners, and if he would have lost even one, it would have cost him his life. He would have killed himself. He cried out, what must I do to be saved? Because Paul told him, do yourself no harm. We're all here. 
What, the jailer said, must I do to be saved? That's Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. The one time in the New Testament where that question is asked with that kind of specific question. What must I do to be saved? And the answer was, verse 31... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to him and to all who were in his house. And if you keep reading in that narrative, you'll find out that his whole household then believed in the Lord and were baptized that same night. Now we love that incredible story. When this man was saved and his whole household believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see here, as we'll see again this morning, it's no small thing when somebody in a family brings the gospel home. And that's what happened to that Philippian jailer. He was saved. <laughs> and his whole family got saved. It's no small thing when somebody brings the gospel of Jesus Christ to the home. The Bible also gives the truth of salvation, though not only in such a specific manner, but also sometimes the truth of salvation is shown to us in beautiful pictures. Jesus employed this with Nicodemus, the ruler of Israel, who came to Jesus by night. And Jesus would tell him in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Now, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful picture. And, and Nicodemus, you know, puzzled. Well, how can I enter again into my mother's womb and be born the second time? I, and, and he said, no, there's a fleshly birth and there's a spiritual birth. And he was able then to show him in that marvelous picture what it meant. And then take that and show him how he was to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text in Luke chapter 5 is another one of those beautiful pictures. If you read in the first part of the chapter, you'll see that Jesus was calling those men who were going to be his apostles under the promise that you follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. And then there's just story after story in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus began to demonstrate that. I wish we had time to look at all of them today. We don't. But this one, this incredible story of this man who was full of leprosy, Dr. Luke said, and let me take a moment to explain to you how leprosy worked in Bible times. Uh, you remember the Middle Eastern people were very dark-complected people. And leprosy would usually show up on them as a white patch on their skin. Many times it was on their torso. So for a while it could be hidden. But as the leprosy would spread, of course, it couldn't be hid anymore. And that's what Dr. Luke says about this one. He was full of leprosy. As the disease progressed, it destroyed the ability of the skin to feel sensation. So they could not feel cold. They could not feel heat. They could not feel pain. And, and the accompanying then loss of, uh, of, of extremities, fingers, uh, face, nose, uh, it just went along with the progression of the disease. It was horrible. There was no cure the diagnosis with leprosy was certain death. Not only that, the leper would lose everything. All of his possessions had to be burned. 
He would lose all social contact. They were required to stay away from everyone. If they saw someone approaching them, they would have to shout out, unclean, unclean. And of course, as I got closer, they would see the person was a leper. It was a primitive form of quarantine, but highly effective. Even today, we know how that many, many diseases, some horrible diseases like Ebola, are spread from contacting another person or something that they have contacted. We know about this. Leprosy was that way in Bible times. No one touched a leper. This man was full of it. And what an example this passage is to us. Throughout Scripture, leprosy was presented as a type of sin. Because the way it spread, uh, the way that it uh, took everything from a person, the way that a person then would end up isolated and separated. It it was just a, a picture of all the things that sin does to the life of a person. It's interesting, you know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And the word he used for clean, as he said to Jesus, oh, if you will... You can make me clean. That's the word our word catharsis is derived from. You see, the man would be cleansed. (laughs) He had a catharsis coming. But it would do him no good if he was cleansed of his leprosy only to die without Christ and spend eternity in hell. He was cleansed. So his cleansing went beyond the eradication of those physical symptoms. He was made clean of his sins. In this marvelous New Testament story then from the life of Jesus dealing with this leper, uh, we'll draw three truths this morning that shows us clearly how anybody can become a Christian. The first thing we have to understand if we're going to be a Christian is our spoiled condition, our spoiled condition. And I use that word very, uh, very pointedly with uh, with deliberate intent. Uh, We know what it's like to have to deal with things that are spoiled. And listen, folk, that's what sin does. Leprosy would spoil the body, but sin spoils the soul. And it brings in a, a, a powerful means of decay. The Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth and he made Adam and Eve and he put them in a beautiful place called the Garden of Eden and there they worked and had perfect fellowship with God and with each other. There was nothing wrong, no sin, nothing wrong in the Garden of Eden. There was only one command that God gave them, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they decided to disobey the the command of God. And do the one thing that God had forbidden. But we can't sit here in Cabot America today and point our long finger at Adam and Eve and say, man, look what a mess they've made. Because the fact is, all of us have duplicated their decision. All of us, you see, have done what God commanded us not to do. All of us have. We've made that same choice that they made. It's no wonder then the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Wherefore is by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all 
have sinned. God told them that if they violated his commandment, they would surely die. But Adam and Eve did not drop dead on the spot. But make no mistake about it. Death had entered the human race because sin entered the human race. All of us, therefore, live with the curse of sin and of death. We're born with the predisposition toward it. We see it in our children in their rebelliousness and their stubbornness and selfishness. We see it in ourselves with our lust and our lies, our chosen lifestyle. We see it in our habits and our hatred and our madness and our murders. We see it in our guilt and our grudges. Sin is like leprosy. It doesn't leave literal stains on our bodies. No, not usually. But sin does leave stains on our souls. I've said it many times before. If sin turned us blue, we'd all be Smurfs. If we just look around at the condition of our world today as a whole, one would think that with all of our technology, we'd be improving things. But instead, things are going the other way. There is war and misery on every hand. There's war in the homes, war in the workplace, war among nations, strife of all kinds. It is the raging fire of rebellion burning in the hearts of people. And sin doesn't stop. And it leaves us just like this leper, full of sin. Full of sin. We're unable to rectify our circumstances. We're incapable of dealing with our sin. We may be able to break one cycle of bad behavior, but we'll inevitably leave, be left with another. Paul in Romans chapter 5 described those who were going about to establish their own righteousness. That is, they were doing everything they could. They turned over a new leaf. They did everything. They tried uh, to change. They were determined they were going to change. They were trying to cleanse themselves. But that's not possible. See, the, the leper then illustrates for us that crucial truth. He knew that there was no hope within himself. But he knew there was one. There was one where hope was. And when he went there, he saw Jesus and he went and fell down at his feet. He was admitting that he was dealing with something that he could not cure. And that is the first step of becoming a Christian. Is that we admit and acknowledge that we have sinned. I'm not trying to tell you this morning that we are as bad as we could be. No one is. There's always room, we say, for improvement. And there's always room to get worse too. And it's easy for us to look at somebody over there and say, oh, yeah, they're a sinner, but I'm not, no, I'm not all that bad. No. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Sin and death is upon us all, and we can't fix it. There's only one place to go, and that understanding, that acknowledging then of our sin 
we go to the feet of Jesus, let me ask you this morning, have you made that trip? Have you bowed before Jesus with that sense of hopelessness, full of sin? The leper's spoiled condition. Then we notice his, the Savior's compassion. Then he, that's Jesus, verse 13, put out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And before us today are three of the sweetest words in the human language. I am willing. <laughs> I am willing. If you're willing, Jesus, you can help me. I am willing. Aren't you glad that Jesus is willing to help us today? That he's willing to save us. It's one of the great truths of Scripture that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you're a sinner this morning, Jesus Christ came to save you. I'm willing. I'm willing. Now, if you're not a sinner, you've got a problem. Because Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that goes back to that first point we made, our spoiled condition. It is only when we realize and recognize that we are sinners and we can't help ourselves that we come running to Jesus and find then that he is willing to save. Second Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. Aren't you glad Jesus is long-suffering with us? Aren't you glad he's patient with us? Oh, he is long-suffering toward us. Look at this. Not willing that any should come to repentance. but uh, or Not willing that any should perish, rather, but that all should come to repentance. So Jesus, number one, is willing to help. And he's not willing that any should perish. This isn't the only truth we see in this passage. Jesus put out his hand and touched him. Many over the years have pointed out that nobody touched a leper, and that was true. Jesus did. You see, when Jesus touched this leper, we need to understand that. If you touched a leper, the leper was unclean. But if you touched a leper, then you became unclean. Most of the time, if you came into contact, a lot of the time, if you came into contact with the leper, you were going to end up a leper too. But Jesus did not contact leprosy. No, he didn't get sick. But it is a tremendous picture of what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. And I bring this passage up a lot, and I bring it again to you today. For he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin. To be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ then, verse, Galatians 3 and 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on, our, on a tree. You see, Jesus took our sin and our curse. Though he was without sin, who knew no sin? He took our sin upon himself. Now, it didn't make him a sinner. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not the way that Jesus Christ works. 
But he took us and he took all of that sin so that he could judge, be judged to sin and condemn sin in the flesh. So just like Jesus took that leper's sickness away because his sickness immediately left him. Why? Because Jesus had touched him. But then also Jesus gave the leper his righteousness and his wholeness. When Jesus saved you, he did the same thing for you. He took your sin. And he gave you his righteousness. Jesus took what defiled him and gave what alone could cleanse him. Who else could do that for us? No one else. Jesus is the only one who lived a sinless life, who therefore could die a substitutionary death, who then could touch us and take our sin away and then give our righteous, his righteousness to us. How do you become a Christian? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to acknowledge our sinfulness and realize that we cannot help ourselves. And that there's only one who can, and that's Jesus. And we go to him, and when we do, thank God we find him willing and able to save, to take our sin away, and to give us his righteousness immediately. Then, verse 13, the leprosy left him. That is what I call this morning, then, the singular cure. Jesus had the cure for sin. If we read on, the very next story that's told in Luke chapter 5 is the story of a paralyzed man whose friends brought him to Jesus. You might remember the story of how Jesus was teaching in a house and they couldn't get to him. The crowd was so pressed around him, so they tore the roof off the building and let him down. You remember that story? And Jesus, when he responded to that man, he said to him, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. But Jesus, didn't you notice he was paralyzed? Yes, he noticed he was paralyzed. But Jesus did not say to him, your body is restored. At that point, he said, your sins are forgiven. Because you see, it doesn't matter how sick we are or what else might be physically wrong with us. If we don't have Jesus Christ in our life, what we need is to have our sins forgiven. And Jesus has the ability to do that. And then he proved it, of course, by telling him, okay, just so you all will know, because the Pharisees and Sadducees had a cow at that point. Um, they got all upset. And so he responded, well, just so you know that I do indeed have the power to forgive sins. He said, rise, said to the man, rise and take up his bed and walk. And that man that was carried in that place walked out. It's a testimony. And so you, you see, the, the Christian life is about becoming. We're not born a Christian. We become a Christian. And knowing about Jesus and knowing that Jesus can save us does not make us a Christian like any good medicine that can heal any disease. We have to take it. We become a Christian when we recognize that we're sinners in need of cleansing, when we come to Christ and then we receive him as our Savior. John the Apostle told us that as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And if we're counting on anything else to get us to heaven, if we're counting on anything else to take away our sin, then we can't be saved.
Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. If I could say that with more emphasis, I would, because those are great, great words. Washing and renewing. Washing and renewing. Washing and renewing. I, I don't know how you guys are, but, uh, you know, I, I have to wear a T-shirt for a few years before it really starts feeling good to me. Is anybody else that way? Any of the rest of you that way? Uh, the, the problem is that just about anything I'm doing, I get all over me. And there's a whole lot of things that tide won't get out or gain either. Now, I know y'all have all got some recipe. Try this, try this, try that. Listen, uh, my sweet wife has tried it all. And if I'm not real careful, she'll look at some of those shirts and decide they're no longer fit for public consumption. And she'll throw them away, and I have to rescue them out of the trash can. Because, man, I've just got them broke, good, broke in good. You know, man, they... A lot of things gets on us that we just can't get out. I don't know where you've been this morning. I don't know what you've done. But I know the one who does. And he says to you what he said to the leper so long ago. I will be thou clean. He offers us that washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. He goes on then in Romans 10, 17 and says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul would say to begin that great epistle to the Romans, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Why do we preach the gospel? Why do we make it such a centerpiece of all that we do as a church? Because the gospel is powerful. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what you are doing this morning, listening to this message Listening to these scriptures. It is something that the Holy Spirit then uses to touch your heart. And call you to salvation. That's why the writer of the book of Hebrews said today. If you hear his voice do not harden your hearts. It's a dangerous thing. To reject that power that draws us to to the gospel. That shows us that we need to be saved. That we need to become a Christian. And so we have this marvelous story here before us. That shows us the terrible nature of our spoiled condition under sin. Of our willing Savior Jesus Christ and his compassion. And then shows us the singular cure. The leprosy left him. 
One more thing before we go. I like usually to call these things taken at home, and this is a literal case of that. And he charged the leper to tell nobody, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. Now, you see, if, if a leper, somehow that leprosy went away, now, they didn't always diagnose it correctly. Sometimes it might just be a, a little splotch, and then after a while, it would go away and correct itself. And, and so they'd go show themselves to the priest. Yeah, I thought I had it, and I didn't. There were a few cases, very few. Naaman the Syrian, you'll remember, had that encounter with a prophet that told him to wash in the Jordan River seven times, and he came cleansed from his leprosy. This man was full of leprosy. There was no doubt that he had it. He was dying with it, soon to die. You go show yourself to the priest. What a testimony that was. They would know that a, a prophet was once again in Israel. They had to know. The, the leprosy just didn't cure itself. People weren't healed of this. What a testimony it was to see that their hopelessness had been replaced with hope. Where their helplessness in, they'd met up with the help, the power of God through Jesus Christ. What a testimony it was. But folk, we don't have to look back just to the New Testament and say, yeah, man, that guy had a great testimony. You know why? Because you have a great testimony. And you, 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 and you folks watching at home, and the preacher does too. Because Jesus Christ has changed your life. Jesus Christ has made you whole. You've experienced that cleansing. And there's somebody you need to go tell about that. Maybe it's in your own home. Maybe it's somebody at school. Maybe it's your best friend. There's somebody you need to be a testimony to. Now, yes, you need to tell them about Jesus. You sure do. You sure do. But you know, the truth is, even if you didn't say anything, <laughs> they'd figure it out. Something's different about you. You're not the same as you were. Something's different. That's why Simon Peter says, be always ready to give an answer to them that ask you the reason for the hope that is within you. Oh, well, of course, y'all know this story. You know this leper went off and told everybody. <laughs> he just, uh, that's just the way we are. How could you keep something like that a secret? What a testimony. Becoming a Christian really is. I ask you today, the words of the old hymn writer, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flood are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Let's stand together, please.